Are you hearing me? But I want us to understand that the gospel of grace is absolutely, completely a system of, by, of and by itself, a way of living, a lifestyle, and a system of living that works all of the time. So last night, okay, let me, let me go back again and just define that word uh, grace. We define that from Acts 20, 24. The incredibly extravagant generosity of God found in Christ Jesus. I don't ever want you to forget that. Grace is the incredible, extravagant, extravagant generosity of God that is found in Christ Jesus. So last night, I began to show you a profile, a profile of a biblical character through which we can see the consistency, the fact that this message walked from the cradle to the grave. Did you hear that? There was no point in Joseph's life that grace was missing. It walked for him from the cradle all the way to the grave. And I, I, I believe God. That, oh, here comes the bishop. Oh, do we from Jamaica? Please, would you all rise and give a hand clap to this bishop? <laughs> hey, listen, did you bring us some pina colada? <laughs> Okay, so, 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 so you see in and through Joseph's life that from the cradle to the grave, he was consistent. There was no part of his life where it did not happen. Now, I, I, I so believe God that if we can say that in Joseph, it means it's possible for you, for me, for all of us in this room. Because God is no respectful person. Only those who believe God enough and believe and rely and depend upon the finished work of Christ, we'll be able to manifest what we're talking about here tonight. So we said last night, we began last night by saying, Joseph was a man who was loved. And he had the assurance of his father's love. No question about that. We knew he was a man that had intimacy with God. Because we saw how he moved in the gifts. And through the, gifts of, the gift of wisdom working in him and the gift of administration, he was able to govern all over Egypt. We saw that Joseph was not just a man who had received grace, but he also was gracious. And that's what we left off last night. He was able to freely release forgiveness to those who had persecuted him. And I don't know about you guys, man. 14 years in the hands of his brothers, and he so freely was able to say to them, listen, man, don't be angry. Don't be grieved. It's not about you. It's God trying to do something. He forgave them. Now, yesterday, I got a chance to read a, a report on a, I don't want to mention this guy's name, a, a, a huge mega church pastor who was married from 2002 to 2009. And 2009, he got a divorce. And the reason for the divorce was because, or was because he was found to be unfaithful in his marriage. I mean, it was such a drama. Because while he was married, he fathered two children outside of his home. And had the inglorious act of breaking that news to the congregation on a Sunday morning. Hello? 
It was a large church then. He recently moved from that last church to a new mega church. Now, this is the silver line in this story. When I read some of the interviews he did in 2013 after the divorce, he was quick to say that the divorce was not anything to do with his wife, that the woman did absolutely nothing wrong, that it was a matter of immaturity on his part. He had, he, he, the, the maturity in his life, the character developing in his life did not measure up to the place he found himself in ministry. Ah, no, no, no. That's, that's another message for another day. Pray that God will not allow you to, to be promoted beyond your character. Because when that happens, you are a disaster waiting to happen. That will not be anybody's hair's portion in Jesus' name. The silver line in that story is, as I speak, him and his ex-wife are back dating again. For a year now, they've been dating. And, and, and we all can just see where that is heading. Now, why am I throwing that story in here? I'm saying that to say to you, can you imagine a woman who was betrayed like that as a first lady in a congregation who found her husband totally, completely, uh, 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 what's the word, uh, immature and, and violated her like that? And yet, she's able to say, you know what, we are best of friends, we are dating again, and I'm excited to know it's going to end well. This is in 2019. This is not Joseph now in the Bible. If I mention this guy's name, everybody will know him. Huge church. Over 20,000 members. And it's happening right now. Right now. Right now. So I'm saying to you, I said that not to, not to introduce uh, a gossip. No. I'm saying that to say to all of us, listen, the degree to which you embrace the finished work of Christ... The degree to which the gospel of grace, the degree to which Jesus has been, has been completely unveiled in you will be the degree to which you can freely give forgiveness and be gracious to others who fail around you. We read Matthew chapter 18 last, last night and we saw the servant who was forgiven $10 million but refused to forgive a person who owed him $20. And when we read those stories, we just say, how, what's, how can that happen? It happens because grace was preached to him, but grace was not received by him. Huge difference. Amen? So Joseph was loved. We know that because he had a robe of many colors, which was a symbol of his righteousness. We know he had intimacy with God. We knew he was forgiven because he had received forgiveness. And so tonight, let me just move on in that journey. As we continue to look at this profile, we said on Sunday morning, that the gospel of grace, or knowing Jesus, it's not a license to escape adversity. Man, look how quiet it got. <laughs> Almost as if I, I said a curse word. <laughs> Joseph dealt with adversity. And the Bible promises you and I one thing. In the book of Timothy. It says, all those who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall have tribulation. If you've not heard it, it's coming. 
That's just, that's just the one. Now, adversity is a general term that includes trouble, affliction, opposition, pressure, chastening, anguish, testing, or tribulation that is greater than our ability to resolve. When adversity comes to a believer, we often think, what have I done wrong? Or, the second big question, why is God punishing me? Well, let me say something to you tonight. Adversity can be our greatest motivation for spiritual growth or our deadliest means of discouragement. It can be our greatest motivation for spiritual growth or it can become our deadliest means of discouragement. The difference depends on your understanding of the finished work of Christ. Amen? Now, let's notice the sequence of events in Joseph's adversity. Go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, verse 23. Thank you. I, I don't want you guys to miss this. This is huge. Genesis 37, verse 23. So it came to pass. When Joseph had come to his brothers, now this is the beginning of the sequence of events that led to 14 years of adversity. What is the starting point? Because his starting point will be your starting point. When he showed up and his brother saw him, what did they do? They stripped Joseph of his tunic. Comma. And then they told us what that tunic is. The tunic of many colors that was on him. Why did they not just do what they were going to do with him? Why did they have to strip him? Because the enemy understands what you carry. I told you last night that that tunic for Joseph was the symbol of his righteousness. So the first thing the enemy did was remove his righteousness, so to speak. So whenever we are under attack of any kind, adversity, trouble, tribulation, persecutions, testings, pressure, chastening, whenever we come into a hard place, you must understand it's not about you. The question is, the enemy wants you to trip off your righteousness. It's after your what? Your robe. Your garments of salvation. Are you going to give it up? He wants you to ponder, to think. He wants you to believe. Oh, this is happening, Deola, because hmm, hmm, you were not too kind to Ngozi yesterday. 
Oh, this is happening, bank, because you see, you know, you did not buy your wife a nice uh, flower. Some, some crazy stuff. Anything he can say to us or do to us to make us take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to look at us. He wants to strip us of our righteousness. And today, really, he cannot do what those brothers do. He cannot come and, he, he, nobody can come and take your, your robe of righteousness off of you because it's a spiritual thing, but you can remove yourself from that covering. Through unbelief, through doubt, grumbling, mourning, complaining, you can literally talk yourself out of your own righteousness by your response to adversity. The enemy just wants you to take your eyes off of the cross, take your eyes off of the finished work of Christ, and begin to just look at, ah, look what happened to me. Am I the only one on the job? They fired me today. Not understanding that God just helped you out. You've been on that job for too long. And God knows if he didn't fire you, you'll never move. He has a great door of opportunity waiting for you, but you will never move from that place. You, you pack at the place of complaining, mourning, and grumbling, and blaming your boss, blaming your co-workers, blaming everybody, and God says, ah, oh, if you just knew what I have for you. Because eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And these things are only revealed to us by his spirit. Yes. If you can see what God has done in the heavenlies, and they fired you, you may go to your boss and give him a gift. Thank you for firing me. This is the best motivation I've ever got. Amen. Just year 2000. Just the year 2000. Barack Obama went to Los Angeles for the National Democratic Convention. And in year 2000, he tendered his credit card to rent a car. It was declined. Declined! No good. He could have been, like so many of us put his head behind his legs, like a little uh, complainer mama. Eight years later, the same man became president of the United States of the United States. How did that happen? In space of eight years, he became the leader of the free world because he did not allow adversity to stop him. Folks, I'm telling you something tonight. This gospel of grace works. It does not just work in church or at home or at work. It works in every area of human sphere. If you just believe it. It's history. The man that could not have a credit card that was good in 2000 now can write a check for $50 million to pay for a house in Martha's vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> History. $15 million. And he did not rob a bank. You want to tell me that Barack Obama has two heads? No. God is no respecter of persons. It's just a respecter of faith. Adversity. Adversity. Joseph went through it. See, the difference between being motivated for growth or being discouraged, 
The difference depends on your understanding of the finished work of Christ. That's why we're on this subject all of these years. The difference in how you see what's happened to you depends on how well you understand the finished work of Christ. So the first point of attack on Joseph was to strip him of his coat of many colors. In other words, they removed the symbol of his righteousness. That was the first blow. The enemy will always seek to destabilize you and I by attacking our righteousness. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3 verses 1. Okay, thank you. Verse 1 is up there already. All right. Look at the first four verses. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen the Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Listen, I'm telling you, you take the time to study in the scriptures, garments and robes. Because here we are. Joseph the high priest was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Verse 4. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity for you. No, wait, 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 wait. wait. Look at the connection between removing the filthy garments and iniquity. <laughs> oh my God. I'm about to just fly. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. See, I'm showing you this to convince you. Robe is righteousness, symbolically in the scriptures. I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with what? Rich robes. Notice the enemy when he brought Joshua the high priest before God. What did they attack? His garments. He said, God, this thing is filthy. You know what? This guy's not clean. He's not righteous. He can't be no good. How can he stand before you in his unrighteousness? God said, really? You're going to go there? Okay, good. I just remove his filthy garment. I place a rich one on him. Now, Satan, what are you going to say? Folks, I'm telling you, when you understand the power of the righteousness of God that you have, the enemy will no longer be able to withstand you. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. Then look at verse 17. Because most times we stop in verse 16. He said, for in it, oh my God, what is it? In that gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. For in it, what's it? The gospel. It is in the gospel that the righteousness of God, what is the right standing of God, is revealed. But it's revealed where? From faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, you've got to believe it. 
When Jesus died, he gave you a free gift of righteousness. You didn't work for it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't pray for it. You didn't fast for it. It's a gift. He gave it to you. Now, bank, Eniola, it's up to you to believe it. You can allow some silver-tongued preacher to talk you out of the righteousness of God. That's up to you. But the moment that happens, and you doubt your righteousness in Christ Jesus, you lose your ammunition against the enemy. You're wide open. This is the foundation of the gospel of grace. Knowing that you are loved by God, and knowing what that love gave you, which is the gift of righteousness. You lose that, you are totally, completely naked before the enemy. It is in it, the gospel, that the righteousness of God is revealed. And it is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, three things about the adversity of Joseph that I want us to just touch on. Three things. And from these three things, we, you and I, can not only learn, we can, only, we, we can also uh, gain some wisdom. Number one, Joseph felt sorrowful when he was uh, violated, thrown into the pit by his brothers. He felt sorrowful. We see this in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. Genesis 42, verse 21. <laughs> in Genesis 42, 42, 21. Now, I, I, I want to show you this because I want you to know that Joseph was not a superhuman. And so the gospel of grace is not asking you and I to become superhuman. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about being an incredible hawk. No. Okay? So in Genesis 42, 21, then they said to one another, now, this is after the, Joseph revealed himself. This is, when they, this, this is when they came before Joseph in Egypt now, his brothers. Uh, their conscience was pricking them. Now they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we will not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. So number one, Joseph felt sorrowful. So what I'm saying by extension is when you and I come into adversity, it is natural, it is normal for us to be sorrowful. So don't, 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 don't try to fake it out and say, well, praise God. I'm a man of God. I'm a woman of God. Uh, I've embraced the gospel of God's grace. Uh, know about the finished word of Jesus. No, I, hallelujah. I'm enjoying it. Hey, give, bring him on. No. <laughs> if that's your reaction, you're not normal. <laughs> you need more help than you think you do need. <laughs> if I'm sorrowful, 
Not only did he feel sorrowful, he pleaded with them, please, why are you doing this? Please, don't do this. Please, help. It's normal. You don't want to see a man or a woman that's going through adversity and they are sorrowful and you start giving them scripture. Oh, let me give you scripture. Ah, oh, no, rejoice. And I'll say rejoice. If that person slapped you, 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 you deserve it. <laughs> Absolutely not. You should empathize with them. Be there as a sounding board. Just listen. This is not a time to be the friends of Job. Asking them, what did you do wrong? Did you cheat cheat on your income tax return? (laughs) That's not the time to be saying that. Just be there as a sounding board. Why? Because you recognize it's human to be sorrowful. Not only was Joseph sorrowful, Jesus, in Matthew 26, verse 38, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. This is the Son of God. Because some of you, uh, we are Bible scholars, we already say, ah, Joseph, if you if were sorrowful, we can't be under grace. <laughs> So, so, something must be wrong with his grace. So, so, no, I just gave you Jesus. Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 38. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly, it, just, it was not just sorrowful. <laughs> exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Now, he was looking at the cross. He knew what was about to happen to him. And as he pondered on it, and as he looked at it, he said, oh, wow. Man. His soul became exceedingly sorrowful. Even unto death. In other words, the sorrow almost killed him before he got to the cross. That's how sorrowful he was. Now, so if Jesus went through that, do you think you and I will escape that? Now, we must understand this because we're going to have, either we are in adversity or we're going to go through it or we know someone that's going through it, we need to understand how to deal with this. Yes. Maybe you lose a loved one, somebody in your family has uh, gone to, to glory and, and, you are, and, and you're trying to comport yourself because somebody has taught you that if you cry or if you're sorrowful, maybe something's wrong with your Christianity. That is a lie. That is a lie. You should cry as much as you want to cry. If you want to get in the casket with them, go ahead and do it. (laughs) 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 To prove how sorrowful you are. (laughs) Yeah. Now, of course, if you have good life insurance, while you're beating the casket, you say, oh, thank you, Jesus. You'll be thinking about the Lamborghini you're going to go buy after. after. There are more examples of sorrow. Acts 8 verse 2, I won't read that. Acts 9 39. The important thing is, I want you to understand adversity. When it hits, the pressure, the chastening, the trials, the tribulation, 
the hard place, the first human response is sorrow. And I'm saying to you, it's fine. Don't beat yourself up because you feel bad about something that just happened. Now, the next point is very important. While it is normal to feel sorrow at whatever has happened to us in adversity, the important and critical point is you don't camp at being sorrowful. You move to the next stage, which is the stage of acceptance that God is in control. I may not understand what's going on. I may not understand why this happened. I may not understand how long I'm going to be in this pit. I don't know how long I'm going to be in this prison. I don't know how long it is before, in between jobs, before I get the next job, the next commission, the next uh, business uh, uh, contract. I don't know how long it's going to be. But one thing I do know, God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. So you must accept after the initial shock of being sorrowful, you must now quickly accept the fact that God is in control. The Bible says in Romans 8 that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to those who have been called according to his purpose. So this is the place where you must know scripture. What turns you around from sorrowful to acceptance is scripture. You are reading the scriptures. Though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. Hey, hallelujah. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning time. This is the place where you must park and know the scriptures that guarantee for you that this situation is not permanent. It has an expiration date. So you go from sorrowful to acceptance. And lastly, number three here, you make the best of the situation. You make the best of the situation. What do I mean by that? You just don't park and invite pity parties. Get on the phone and call your brother. Ah, doc, if you know what's going on with me, and you rehash the whole thing, and all the while you're rehashing it, what are you looking for? You're looking for sympathy. You're looking for him to enable you to park where you are. You're looking for him or her to find someone that's the, uh, to, to, to make you the victim. Don't do that. Make the best of the season, or the best of the situation. Do you go retool yourself and go back to school? In a time of adversity like that? Is, could, this, could this be a season? I say, you know what? You need to go and retool. Change your profession. Change your career. Change something about your life. Or could it, could it mean that you need to get dive in and just begin to do something meaningful as you are prompted by the Holy Spirit? Because in Joseph's life at this point, in these 14 years, this is where ministry began for him. This is where ministry began. He got to Potiphar's house, bang. He said, I mean, before Potiphar made him the head in his house, he had to have seen something. You just don't bring a Hebrew 
from Canaan into Egypt on the day one, you make him the head of the house. No! He had to demonstrate some level of responsibility in small things that made him ruler over many. Service. Now, on this point, I need to come for two or three minutes. Because there's this notion that says that the gospel of grace means there's nothing to do. That is a fallible. It is fraud. It is not true. The only thing that is true is you do not work to earn your salvation, to earn your blessings, to earn the favors of God. But once you are in, in the kingdom, you've been saved by grace. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But once you are in, come on, who's going to clean the house? God has brought you into his house now. Who's going to take up the house? How are we quick to forget that back in Genesis, in the absence of sin, the first charge God gave to man was tender the garden. In other words, get busy. Tender the garden. He gave man a charge, something to do. So what I'm saying is, Joseph, in his time of adversity, used that time productively by engaging in industry. He made the best use of that time. And I'm saying to us that we must not sit down and accept the notion that grace means we be passive. No, it is not true. Grace means you are saved by grace. It's not of works. But once you, begun, you begin, once you are saved, the Bible says God created me and you with a purpose before time began. For good works. That's what the Bible says. So you and I should be actively listening to the voice of the Spirit as to where does he want you to be engaged, what does he want you to be doing, and looking for him to enable you to do it. Absolutely. All of us have something. All of us have been given something. In fact, 1 Peter 4. Please give it to me. I believe it's 1 Peter 4.10. Give it to me. Let me see. 1 Peter 4.10. Ah, thank you. Which translation is this? Where did you get this from? I bet. Give me a real Bible. <laughs> you, you need to watch all these millennials, though. You need, to, you need to watch all the but doctor, you need to watch all these guys. <laughs> they, they will write their own translation and just put it up and come to a paste. <laughs> First Peter 4.10. Watch. As each one of you has received a gift. That's everybody in this room. Minister it to one another. Why? As good stewards. Of the manifold grace of God. Grace don't say you should be passive and just sit down and eat Kool-Aid and just think uh, Pastor Bank, uh, uh, Pastor Shina, Dr. Steve is just going to come and just feed bo- give you feeding bottle. Okay, now they start for feeding bottle. Which one is this? Lactogen or Similac? <laughs> no. That's 
things to do in the house. And because you've received a gift, that gift of righteousness, you have already received it. Now you become a steward. You know what a steward is? One who is accountable to a master higher than himself. You become stewards. What God does not want is me and you creating our own work and doing it. That is called dead works. Anything that originates outside of him that you do and present to him, you say, this is rubbish. It's rubbish. And he says that because he knows what he created you to do. And he knows the gift he's given you. And he knows what, how he wants you to use that gift. So as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So Joseph, in his time of adversity, made the best of the situation. That's when he served. He served in Potiphar's house. From there, he was promoted to the prison. You see, many of us don't say that as a promotion. In the natural, we say, man, his condition is getting worse. Really? In retrospect, when you look back now, how many people are in Potiphar's house? Possibly. I don't know. But if I was a general, maybe he had 50 people in his house. Maybe even 100. How many of you know that from a house of Potiphar to the prison is a larger population? So whereas he was responsible for 50 people in Potiphar's house, he gets to a prison system, he's responsible for 1,000 people. Do you see the promotion now? Listen, you don't understand this. You cannot go from Canaan, bang, and become prime minister and rule over 5 million Egyptians. If you've not ruled one person, how can you rule 5 million? So God sets it up, his curriculum. Let me train you among 50. Let me see how well you do with 50. You manage 50 well? Man, you've done well. And goes, now it's time for you to go and manage 1,000. 1,000 is not your stopping point, but it's, part, it's the intermediary stop to where you're going. So now you manage 1,000 people. We found you faithful there, now you are ready to be number two in Egypt. It's a promotion. It's a promotion. Joseph handled adversity. And I'm saying to us, we will go through it if you've not been. And even if you've been at one point, the, listen, it's, a, it's, a life, it's, it's a lifelong adventure of varying degrees. But once you understand it, and you are settled in a finished work of Christ, it's not as challenging as you think it is. Now, when I say it's not as challenging, I'm not trying to minimize it or trivialize it. Please understand me. No, no, no. It can be very, very challenging. But I'm just saying to you, you must understand that Jesus, your master, has already conquered it. And that's what gives you the ability and the expectation that even this shall pass. That it has an expiration date on it. Samson's hair will grow again. Look at the foundation of a house. The foundation of a house, when it's solid, does not keep the rain. It does not stop the rain from falling. It does not stop the flood from coming. What does it do? It makes sure the flood or the rain does not get in the house. 
Oh, you didn't understand what I just said. <laughs> when you have a solid foundation, it does not say rain, don't, don't fall. Yeah. Rain will still come. Yes. When you have a solid foundation, it does not say flood, you cannot come near my house. Your foundation does not control the rain, nor the flood. Your foundation only guarantees that when the rain falls and the flood comes, your house is secure. Oh, hallelujah. Glory be to God. And that's what Jesus offers you and I. Praise God. Joseph understood that he was loved. He had intimacy with God. He was forgiving and that was able to release forgiveness to his brothers that heard. And adversity did not get him under. He survived adversity and allowed the adversity to promote him. So the last thing I want to say about this profile tonight, because tomorrow I want to get a new uh, track. Let's go to Genesis chapter 41. This is the last point I want to make tonight. Genesis 41. Verse, Genesis 41, verse 56. Verse 56. Thank you. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. Last verse. So, all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. Now, this last point is just as important as all the other points. Remember, our goal, our objective is to establish that the gospel of grace is not just a curriculum or a doctrine, but a way of life, a system of living, and that it covers every aspect of our life, from the cradle to the grave. So the last thing we see here in Joseph is the fact that his life impacted not just Egypt, but the world, the earth. Okay, let me say that again. I, don't see, I didn't see anybody jumping up and trying to hold uh, the chandelier. <laughs> Joseph's life not only impacted his local environment, but impacted the entire world. There's a reason for which God calls us in this house world outreach. God could have easily called us local outreach or Lawrence, Lawrenceville Church for all nations. That's not what he said. He said you are world outreach, which means God, in calling us, is saying to us, he expects everyone who is a member of this church by some contribution and participation 
to not just touch Lawrenceville, but touch the world. Joseph, as the carrier of God's grace, impacted Egypt and all the countries of the world. They all came to be fed by him. And there are several ways in which you do that. I'm not asking all of you guys to get on the uh, on Delta tomorrow night and just go to Korea and move. No. Now, if you did that, that would be wonderful. It's true. Absolutely. But all of us, by the remote control of the spiritual entity that we are, can affect the nations, even right now. That's why every Sunday morning in this church, we pray for the nations. We might not be there, boots on the ground, 24-7, every day, every month, and every year, but by prayer, we can affect what happens in those nations. Isaiah 61. Give me that scripture, Isaiah 61. Verse 10, I think it is. Verse 10 and 11. Very quickly. When we pray for the nations, give me verse 11. When we pray for the nation, there you go. Look at what he says. For as the earth brings forth its bird, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause what? Righteousness and praise to spring forth before all of the nations. How does that happen? It happens when believers get together and declare prophetically over these nations the will of God to be done. That's why we pray for the nations. That's why God in Genesis chapter 18 could not destroy Sodom until he went to Abraham. And said, Abraham, what do you say about the situation? Gave Abraham, his covenant man, the opportunity to speak into the situation. And Abraham began to negotiate with God. If there are 50 righteous, will you destroy it? If there are 40, will you destroy it? 20. He kept on negotiating. If he had just said, don't go there, God would have stopped. He thought by negotiating that he was really doing something wonderful. Not understanding his role as a covenant partner. Because when you're in covenant relationship, you are part of the equation. He could have easily told God, God, don't let's do it now. God will have to back down. He said, Pastor, how can you say that? Really? It's in the scriptures. Did God not want to destroy Israel? For their rebellion? And Moses, under the law, stood in the gap. And said, God, you cannot do this. And the Bible said, God repented. Oh my God. In other words, he changed his mind. Because he found a man that was faithful to execute their covenant responsibility. He changed his mind. My friend, let me tell you something. Every failure on the earth today is a prayer failure. Now, that's a whole subject on its own. Because 99.99999% of the church, of prayer in the church is useless. I'm sorry to say that. You didn't hear me. 99.999999% of the prayers we pray in church is absolute nonsense. You don't believe it? Go to a place called Nigeria. And see people praying. 
listen, I'm not saying that to, to, to denigrate the nation. No, I'm, I was born in Nigeria, and I thank God for the nation. But I'm just speaking fact. Millions gather to pray every weekend all over the nation. What has happened? The more they prayed, the worse it gets. Why? We are praying useless prayers. We are praying that God should get involved in human affairs. And God said, are you serious? I've been, I've been involved for since Pentecost. I, I've not only been involved, I've finished it. You are asking me to be involved in something I've already done and got accomplished? We should be praying for God to open our eyes to see what he has involved us in already. Nonsensical prayer. Open heaven. Open heaven. Shout. Hallelujah. Open it. Let the heavens rend. I saw a flyer. I think my brother sent me a flyer the other day of a ministry. You know, you know the theme of the you know the theme of the of the crusade? They want to rain dollars. True story. Please send it to Della because you think I'm joking. He will go and play the keyboard for them so that so they will not only rain dollars, they'll rain pounds sterling too. Crazy. Crazy things. Crazy things. Go and read the apostolic, apostolic Pauline prayers. Tell me how you find the things we pray in our churches there. Tell me. His prayer was God. Open the eyes of their understanding. Let them see what your provision is. It's already there. Our problem is we're walking in dark. Let me get back to Joseph. So God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Number one thing we can do is pray. We pray for the nations. We pray for the will of God to be done in those nations. That, that what happens in those nations, that the will of God on, 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 on heaven is manifested on the earth. That's our responsibility. Secondly, we can go. You go to encourage, to strengthen, to bless those in those nations. That's why we do it. It's not global tourism. No. Thirdly, you give specifically to fund missions. I'm not talking about what you give in your regular giving. There's a certain blessing that's just associated by saying, you know what, I want this $10 or this $100 to go to Syria alone or to go to Morocco or to go to Africa. Specific. Because if we don't do so, the work will not get done. We can pray, we can go, we can give, and then we can mobilize. Mobilize meaning there are people sitting in the congregation in the pew. They've worn out the pew from sitting. You can pat them and say, oh, oh God, bro, have you ever been to Morocco? You want to, you want to go and see what God is doing there? Mobilize. We need people to mobilize. Why? Because those that are on the field are getting old. Good thing. Thank God nobody will live forever. And by reason of attrition, they will retire and leave the field. Who will take their place? And when we talk about missions, people think everybody there is going to be a preacher. No! They need administrators. They need teachers. They need uh, healthcare givers. They need entrepreneurs. Anything you do stateside, you can do abroad. 
coming alongside a national and imparting your wisdom, your gift to help them so they can now represent the kingdom of God where they live. No, it's a myth. They think everybody that goes on missions must be like uh, uh, Dr. Copeland or uh, Dr. Hagen. No! In Thailand, this last trip we went to Thailand, there was a, there's a guy there, you know what he does there? He helps build houses. He's there, he's retired from the police department, his wife from the healthcare system, healthcare administrator. Both of them are there, and all he does at AOF, fix all their housing, fix their trucks. I mean, fulfill, they sold everything to go and do it. Young people, I'm older than them. But the gift they bring to the field is like a breath of fresh air to those people. So the missionaries are free to do their work without having to worry about when the trucks break down, how are we going to fix it? Because the guy's there, he says, it's man, this guy can fix anything that moves. I asked him, I said, I don't know. I said, how do you get this? He said, I don't know. He doesn't even know. He can't tell me how he did it. Yeah, he gets it. He said, if you can put it together, I can take it apart and put it back together. And that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. So don't, listen, don't limit your work, your life. Don't allow our society to place a limitation on you. You are not too old to serve God. You are not too old to make an impact. And you are not too young to make a mark on this generation. Now, Male, female, young and old, there is something God has placed in your hand and God is looking for a return. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you for how you are teaching us and guiding us. And we just yearn. We pray, God, that we will not just squander your grace upon our life. Your grace will not be in vain. But that in and through your enablement, we will make a mark. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. So we are counting on your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, go to work in us. We release ourselves to you. Thank you, Father God. We honor you. We bless you. In Jesus' name.